This is day 205 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing John chapter 21, and then we will go into the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 4. Lord God, as we go into your word today, please show us the truth. Please show us where we are in you, where we have been exalted because of your righteousness. You died for our sins. We belong to you, Lord. And you brought Pentecost to the world so many years ago, where your Holy Spirit now has joined with mankind to glorify you. You've given us gifts. You've given us hope. You've given us security in you. Lord, we are so grateful for what you have done. Even though we probably don't fully understand everything that this has to do with, but Lord, help us to see that more clearly as we go through the book of Acts. May we be like the first churches in that they are in one mind and in one heart doing all things. Please bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he said to him. Again, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you, and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only, If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud removed him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come again just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At that time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons was there together, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us, and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle 
and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakel Damah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it. And let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they were all continuing in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? And others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross 
by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we were all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us! And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they took note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? And why do you gaze at us, as if by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and his successors onward, also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant, and sent him to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they had laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about five thousand. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power, or in what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you 
and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the one which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. But the man was more than forty years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why do the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as they had need. Now Joseph, a Levite by Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
Okay, so we have three major things that we witness today. We witness the final appearance of Jesus. We witness him ascending into heaven. And we witnessed the birth of the first church. And it was glorious to see it. So beginning in chapter 21 of John, we see the final interaction they have with Jesus before he takes them up to the mountain to be received into heaven. And the manner in which he did so seems familiar to us because we see Peter and his gang going back to their old ways of fishing. Now, whether or not he's doing it because he's making money or because he just needed to unwind a little bit, clear his head, or he was going back to his old ways before Christ, we don't really know. There's a lot that could be inferred out of this. But Jesus appears to them on the shore, and they don't know it's him. And he tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. And that sounds very familiar, right? Remember that Jesus once told him that he was going to become a fisher of men. Now, this is going to be a beautiful reminder to Peter what he's about to do in Acts. And we saw him do it today, and it was amazing what we saw. When the disciple John saw that it was Jesus that was on shore, Peter was told about it. Peter just up and abandoned ship and swam to shore to get there as fast as he could, leaving everybody else behind with a full net of fish. They eventually got back, and there was 153 fish in their net, and none of it was torn. It would have normally been torn by so many fish. But, of course, this was a miracle, so it didn't break. And Jesus already had breakfast ready for them, and they brought more food to satisfy them even further. Jesus partially did this in order to not only interact with them, but I think it's also to show that he was indeed a man. He wasn't a ghost or some sort of a spirit. And then we have a very heart-wrenching story here. We can probably imagine that Peter is carrying a lot of emotional baggage right now. A lot of guilt. A lot of regret. A lot of bitterness in himself because of what he did to Christ. And so we have this time for offsetting the denials by three professions of his love for Christ. Jesus gave him the opportunity to make right what he did wrong. And I love how he did that. He asked him first, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And of course, he says, yes, of course I love you, Lord. And he does that two more times. In the same way that he denied him three times, Jesus gave him the opportunity to profess his love for Christ three times. And each time, Jesus told him what he needed to do in response to his declaration of love. What did he tell him? Tend my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. He is declaring that he is going to be a leader. He is going to be a shepherd. He's going to be a pastor of sort. So that when he is starting this first church, there's no surprise now that he's the first one to stand up and speak. Because he's always been a very aggressive, bold individual. And now God is going to use that personality trait of his for his glory. And then what's interesting is in verses 18 and 19, Jesus is giving a prophecy of the martyrdom of Peter. He, like it says in verse 19, he's signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. He's describing how Peter is going to die now, even though it's not going to happen for a very long time. He described for him then how he was going to die for Christ. So I don't know if he always carried that with him afterwards or if he understood what was going on at the time. But if God was saying that, yeah, you're going to die by martyrdom one day, I mean, that's something to carry with you and wonder about. I don't know if he understood it or not. Now, it says in verse 20 that Peter 
got distracted by John. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe he has some sort of jealousy because he is the disciple that Jesus loves. And when Peter saw him, he's like, well, what about him? What about his future? Because perhaps they're still thinking about when Jesus said that one of these is not going to taste death until they see the kingdom come. Maybe Peter thinks that's going to be John right now. And so he asked, well, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Like, why are you worrying about him? Don't worry about him. You follow me. Don't be distracted over John's future. You are only responsible to follow me. I will deal with John as I deal with him, but your job is simply to just obey me and follow me. And that command rings true to us today. Don't worry about anything else or anyone else in a means of what's going to happen to them or how is this fair, right? Because we want us to talk about fairness. Some people do more work than others. Some people are better Christians than others. Why is this person getting more things than me? Don't worry about those things. God only wants you to worry about glorifying his kingdom. What does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. Just worry about the kingdom of God, and God will take care of everything else. And then in verse 24, John finally identifies himself as the writer of this gospel, as well as all these other times where he is identifying himself as that other disciple. So this is to show that John really is the author of the book of John, for those that are skeptics. Now, I don't think it's a shocking revelation to anyone, but this obviously is not the complete story of everything that Jesus ever did, right? All four of these Gospels put together are just a glimpse as to the life and ministry of Jesus. This isn't a comprehensive, exhaustive book of everything that Jesus ever did. This is just to show who he is as the Christ and as God. And so John reminds us here at the very last verse of his gospel. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Just to show that these are not complete accounts, but if we were to detail everything to you, I don't think we could have enough paper in the whole universe to make it work. So by the direction of the Holy Spirit, we only gave you these particular accounts and events that describe Jesus for who he is. And again, these are eyewitness accounts from all four of them. These are eyewitness accounts. These men were literally there. Or in the case of Luke, the people that he interviewed and he got their information from were literally there. Or in the case of Mark, Simon Peter was actually there. So these are eyewitness accounts. That's what makes them so reliable. We may get caught up on the details like, well, they don't seem to completely mesh together, or they seem to contradict themselves at the surface. But again, this is an eyewitness testimony. It doesn't contradict itself. It may be a little bit different on certain things, but the difference between those two accounts do not make them wrong. There's just eyewitness accounts. And a good book to study that aspect is one that is by J. Warner Wallace called Cold Case Christianity. I really love that book. It was very eye-opening to me to see how from a detective standpoint, a cold case detective, how he pieced together the Gospels, and how even from a forensic and law enforcement viewpoint, how the Bible was written in such a way that it is reliable. And he actually found Christ through being a detective studying the Gospels. It's fascinating if you read his testimony. So I would recommend that book to anyone. But anyway, 
Now we enter into the book of Acts. Now, Acts was written by Luke. And you can kind of tell, because at the very beginning, he says that he's mentioning Theophilus again. And this is the same person that he mentioned at the beginning of the book of Luke. Now, again, he wasn't there until later. So what he's hearing is eyewitness testimony from other people. But he's piecing together everything that the apostles did during and after Jesus returned to heaven. And it's amazing, the things that we see here. So obviously, by reading the very first thing that Luke says in chapter 1, he says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is part two of his gospel, if you will. Part one is the gospel of Luke, leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ. But this is after the fact. This is after Jesus has returned to heaven. We get to see this sampling right here. It's not as clear in the Synoptic Gospels what happened at the last time that they see Jesus physically, but it's more detailed here in the book of Acts, chapter 1. So before ascending into heaven, Jesus is telling them two things in advance. One is that they will soon be receiving the Holy Spirit. But then secondly is, when you get the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses throughout the world. And so they had that to look forward to, and then he was lifted up out of their sight. Two angels were standing there saying, why do you keep looking up at the sky? Why don't you go do what Jesus said, basically. And so they all went, and it was a large group of people. They said there were about 125 people that were hanging out together. There were a mix of apostles, disciples of Jesus, other followers, the mother of Jesus, his brothers, which apparently now believe in him, which they didn't before. So very interesting that they all gather together to pray. And I think that's important. Like it says in verse 14, this is something that we as a church should be doing. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. We should be doing this with one mind. United effort. And I don't think as a global church, we do a very good job of that. Especially in America. We are so disconnected from each other, it's not even funny. But we need to be in sync with each other. We need to be interacting with each other. We need to be in fellowship with each other. Because not only did God command us to do that, but it is also for your edification and for your development. We need to be working together with one mind and continually devoting ourselves to prayer. The world is not going to change unless we start doing this. We have a huge influence across the world. We don't recognize that all the time, but we have a huge influence. We are primarily responsible for helping to keep the preservation of morality in the world. That's part of the reason why the church exists. And so we're not doing that. In most cases, we're doing the opposite. We're actually bending to the will of the world right now, or to the times, or to the pursuit of tolerance. And those things are not what we should be doing. We should be devoting ourselves to prayer. So they cast lots and in order to pick a replacement for Judas. Since Judas betrayed them, he was not one of them, and he died as he hanged himself. They found Matthias as being someone who was there from the beginning, but was not of the twelve. And so they made Matthias, by lot, the twelfth new apostle. Without this detail, some of what we see in the book of Revelation just would not make sense. Because it says in the book of Revelation that there will be 12 gates, and each of the gates is going to be named after one of the apostles. And obviously, Judas Iscariot does not deserve to have a gate named after him. 
but it's going to be the original 11 plus Matthias. So that's what makes the 12. And then it happens. One of the most glorious events in the Bible. The power of the Pentecost has come. These were legitimately physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit being like a flaming tongue. Don't really know besides that how to describe what this looks like. That's not the point anyway. What happened at Pentecost is what truly matters. First of all, in verse 2, it says that suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent wind. It didn't say a wind blew in. It said a noise like a violent wind blew in. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then the tongues of fire appeared and began to distribute themselves. And they received the Holy Spirit right there. And they began to speak with other tongues. Now this one's been heavily debated as to were they speaking other languages? Or were they speaking in a heavenly language that was being heard in a different way by different people? That is something that can be heavily debated. It doesn't really say that in particular. This is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, so anything could happen. Either way could work. Either they're speaking a language they don't know, or they're speaking in a certain tongue that is heard differently by each person who hears it. So whether or not it's that or not, I don't know. But ultimately, they're speaking to everyone who is able to hear all at the same time. And so it's really just blowing everybody's mind how they're hearing their own dialect being spoken in Jerusalem is just amazing to them. And these are Galileans. They're like, what what are these guys doing? They're not educated or anything, and yet they know our languages so well. Some of them are amazed by it, but some of them, of course, are going to mock. There's always those people who are over here making fun things. And then Peter stands up, being who he is, and he gives a bold sermon. And he explains what the people are witnessing, and he explains the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after this first sermon that he preaches, 3,000 people accept Christ. Wow, that is fantastic. But if do you notice how he's speaking? The Holy Spirit gave him so much wisdom and power that it doesn't even sound like him anymore. You can see that his boldness, his base personality is there, but you see so much understanding of Scripture and so much quotation of the Scripture that he didn't previously know. The Holy Spirit gave him that. And it is amazing what he did, how he's now connecting all the dots because the Holy Spirit is with him now and he fully understands the gospel and he it was unlocked in his mind how the Bible all fits together. So there is no understanding of Scripture without the Holy Spirit, is what I'm getting at. You see how without the input of God in your life, you will not understand the Bible. That's why I am so amazed, and I always wondered growing up, how is it that if I'm a Christian, right, and I read the Bible, I can be changed by it? But how is it that people in the world can pick up a Bible, claim to have read it, if they really did read it, and not be changed by it. It's because of God's input in the process. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. So if the Holy Spirit is guiding you through the Scripture, you're going to understand it. But if He chooses not to reveal it to you, then He won't reveal it to you, and you'll get nothing out of it. So now that the Holy Spirit is with Peter, he fully understands the unlocked potential of the Bible. So this is amazing. And he shares that in his sermon. And he just goes on and on about how they killed their Messiah, and yet he didn't stay dead. He gave them a solid gospel. So everything that was led up to this point is to exalt Jesus Christ. And 3,000 were added that day. 
They heard all this, and they felt the urgency. They felt the burning within themselves. And so they asked Peter, what are we supposed to do? We understand what is going on, but I don't know how to respond to this properly. And what does Peter say? Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, it doesn't mean baptism saves you, but this is to show what you truly believe. So, the water baptism is the outward sign of repentance, okay? We have to understand that. It is not what saves you. It is to demonstrate the forgiveness of your sins, but forgiveness is only through faith in Christ, not through the act of baptism. So it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the gift in order to do that, and it is the gift to all who believe, and it's not just a reward to some. The Holy Spirit blesses all who believe in Christ. And then we see the way our church is supposed to look. And this is something to definitely understand. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, a sense of reverence for God. Do we even have that in our church today? Do we have a proper reverence for God? Okay, that's step number one. Step two, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Well, we don't have apostles today, but God can still work miracles in the modern day. It's just our lack of faith, I think, that causes us not to see them. Or, you do have miracles going on, but they're more subtle. And I've had many miracles go on in my life. All those who believed were together and had all things in common. So, let's understand what this means. They're not all the same people, right? I'm sure they all had different personalities, different backgrounds, different professions. So, what does this mean? Well, the community that became the church were of various backgrounds, but they were in fellowship with each other. Because that's what actually what fellowship means in the Greek. Fellowship means to have something in common. So in your church, you may be very different from the people who are there. You may be very unique in that way. And that's okay. Everyone is going to be unique. But we have, no matter what you are, or who you are, or what language you speak, if you believe in Christ, you have something in common with all other believers. You have Jesus Christ in common. You have the Holy Spirit in common. And you have that love and fellowship with God in common. So in this way, that's what it's referring to, is they had all things in common because they were so addicted to Christ that that was the only thing that mattered. What did they do in response? They began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. That might be very boggling for some people to understand. Do you give of yourself to other people? Now, it's not saying you have to sell all your possessions and live on the street. That's not what it's saying. But are you helping those in need? At least from the very minimum, those who are within your own church. Should you be supporting all the poor and all the widows and all the orphans? Yes. But let's start with the basics. Are you taking care of other believers? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. Day by day, they would spend time together in union in the church. And they would break bread from house to house. They would have fellowship with each other. So much fellowship going on here. They were, as the Proverbs say, iron sharpening iron. They were together, and they were not only just enjoying each other's company, but they were sharing meals together, they were sharing Christ together, they were growing together. That is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. And I don't think we're there, but we can be, because that's what God intends for us. If we were to do this, perhaps 
the last sentence here would make more sense, and perhaps that's what we would see happen today. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Imagine if we were doing all these things that the first church was doing. Wouldn't God increase our numbers? I'm sure of it. So then we get to chapter 3. We see the first time in the book of Acts that one of the apostles heals somebody. Now, he doesn't heal by his own power, right? He doesn't say that he has the power to heal people. What does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. So he is invoking the name of Christ, and only by his power and authority can these things happen. And the man is healed. And then you see how the Pharisees, and even some of the same people who actually killed Jesus, quite literally, are standing there watching this happen and trying to get at them now, trying to stop them from doing this stuff. And Peter is not going to have any of it. He is challenged by them, and he shares his testimony. He shares the truth that they denied their Christ. They killed him, but he rose from the dead. And then he tells them to repent. So what do they do? They lock him in prison. And so they defend themselves in the faith, and they have no response, because everything they've done was good and was miraculous, and they don't know how to handle these guys, so they let them go. But here's an important thing, is that they told them to stop talking about Jesus. They also told Jesus to stop talking about himself that way. But what did these men say? Whether or not God wants us to obey you instead of him, you be the judge, but we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We each have our own unique testimony as to what God has done in our lives. Are you sharing that with people? In their case, they could not stop speaking about it. They had the understanding of how much of a responsibility there was in having this knowledge, having this understanding of God, and sharing it with people who need to hear it. That urgency of the gospel. They could not stop. And if they did, they would be disobeying God. And then we see at the end of chapter 4 how they're praying for the city of Jerusalem. And while they're doing that, they're showing how all of this was through the Gentiles and the Jews killing Jesus. And then in verse 28, it says that we were called to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So everything that occurred exactly happened ex the way that God wanted. Everything was purposed, meaning it had a purpose, right? It was planned, and it was predestined, meaning it had already been established way in advance. So nothing happened that went awry, right? There was no plan that went awry, got interrupted. God went to plan B. None of that ever happened. Everything happened according to God's will. I would love nothing more than even for my local church to be verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. That is my dream for my church and for every church, to have that boldness for the gospel, to be able to pray in such unity that the very walls are shaken by the Holy Spirit's presence. Oh, to see that day. I would love to see that day so badly. I can't convince other people, but I can certainly convict them through the Holy Spirit, and I can stand up and be that voice to help push things in that direction. And that's what I have been and intend to keep trying to do at my own church. But we cannot make progress without relying on God. We try to do this in our own power, we're going to fail. We're doing this because it's just the right thing to do. It's just a religious thing 
I'm here on Sunday only, and I just take up a seat. You're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to share the gospel with boldness. But that's what God has called us to do. I know we can do so much better, and I want to see us do so much better. And with that, that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.